Hello, and welcome to episode 129 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have a review of volume one of The Old Guard, Opening Fire. This collects the first five issues of the series with Greg Rucka as writer and Leandro Fernandez on art. The Old Guard is also coming to Netflix. As of the time of recording, July 10th, 2020, it is currently able to be viewed. Um, so this is your spoiler alert for the first volume of The Old Guard, the, the comic, the, the trade, the first five issues. So if you haven't read those, uh, please pause the podcast and come back after you've read those. This is Matt, and I'm joined by Constructed Comics co-host Noah. Hey there. Noah, so um, let's do some initial thoughts, and then we'll do sort of a, I guess maybe we should phrase this as like a, a medium dive into the comic, because we don't want to give too much away that might be shown in the uh, the upcoming movie. Yeah, we'll have to do a, a deeper dive, I guess, when we get to the movie. Um, the Yeah, I love this book. Um, I read it as it came out monthly back in 2017. It was a really, it was one of those books I got excited for every issue that came out. And I really, uh, it was on sale on Comixology. So if, if, if people are interested in buying it, it's, I think it's like $6 or $5 on Comixology right now, the first volume. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend picking that up or even giving money to your local comic shop and picking it up. It's a solid read. You know, you can, you can get a complete story in the first book. And uh, I think that's what I liked about it. I, I definitely want to read more. And I've read, a, I've read one issue of the newer arc. Um, but I, I really like this, you know, just sort of how this, this, uh, this first series is sort of has a nice beginning, middle and end. And, uh, you could stop here, but you could also keep going. Um, I, I love the world, love the characters, excuse me, love Greg Rucka's writing, especially in the dialogue. And we'll get to that. Um, I love Leo Fernandez's, uh, artwork. It's beautifully so clean and it's, mm-hmm. it's so polished and so clear, but at the same time, so heightened stylistically. I yeah it's a, it's a great book um it's not perfect obviously i don't think that there i don't think i could uh i don't think there are i don't think i love every part of it but i definitely love you know the majority of it so yeah but what are your thoughts yeah i i really i really enjoyed it uh one of the first uh greg rucker things i read when i got back in the comics was uh queen and country which was oh, yeah? a very sort of you know, real world sort of spy story. So this was a great combination of of that with sort of, you know, elements of of superhero storytelling. So um, I really, I really liked it that way. And uh, I went to school, uh, got a degree in history, which I'm not using right now, but uh, it was also, you know, the the elements of history, um, sort of, spycraft and superheroes it was uh, it was sort of a uh, triple triple delight for me so I, I i did really like it yeah i'm gonna have to look up that the queen and country after after this because uh i was realizing like i get greg rucka and um ed brubaker mixed up sometimes so i need to i need to read more greg rucka because i've uh, i've read things like lazarus and some of his wonder woman stuff and uh but I've not really read a lot of Greg Rucka, so I need to, I need to find, uh, yeah, I need to find a good series to dive into, and uh, yeah, just sort of devour what he's got because I do love his style, and I yeah. love, uh, I love Fernandez's art. Yeah, what do you think of that? I do, I do really like it. Um, but th- just to backtrack on Queen and Country, and I'm 
I had slight doubts in my mind that it was Greg Rucka, but I'm pretty sure it's Greg Rucka. Um, and I'm, I'm actually glancing at one of the trades right now. But uh, to make you even more excited, there's a lot of Chris Somney uh, art in Queen Whoa. of Country. So yeah. think about how great that that is. That's great. And I was actually just thinking because uh, one of the cooler uh, variants for this series is Chris Samney's cover. And he's got, um, it's got uh, a picture of Andy and she's got like a katana like through her or something mm -hmm. crazy like that. Like all these weapons from different times. And uh, it's brutal, but it's very cool. And uh, it's one of those covers now I'm adding to my uh, like search list for, to find um, when I go to comic shops and conventions from here on. Um, yeah, I, I really love this book. Uh, I really like the premise. What, what do you think of sort of the idea of uh, a group of immortal warriors um, who can't die, but also who can't, uh, who, who also don't know when they're going, like, who can die basically, but I have a hard time of doing it. I guess that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah. What do you think of the premise? Yeah, I really liked it because um, it was sort of like, if you think about it, it's sort of like Wolverine going in yeah. to do a job and, you know, 80, 90% of the time, he's sure that he's going to, he's going to make it out, but there's still the, the possibility that, that he's not where like in an X-Men comic, I mean, there's been times where Wolverine's been sort of like reduced to like the barest atom and able to sort of regenerate himself. But here they sort of have like a little bit of that, like carefreeness that they can sort of rush into a gunfight um, and, and, you know, sort of shoot it out with like the assurance that they're most likely going to make it out, but there's still like the possibility that they're, that they're not going to make it out. And it seems yeah. like the more damage they take, the longer it takes them to sort of regenerate. So they still have to, even though they can be sort of like bold and like rush into situations, they have to, to be careful because the, you know, the amount of damage they take or, um, you know, the amount of pain that's inflicted on them might, require them to sort of uh, recover for longer. So there's, 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 there's great elements there. So. Yeah. And there's a, they even make a point later that they're using more blunt instruments because uh, if they, they can still be like knocked out and uh, uh, like any ordinary person can, um, which is sort of, I guess, inconsistent. If you think about it more medically, as, as you start to break that down, you're like, wait a minute. Uh, but getting shot in the face, you can regenerate from that really fast or whatever it is that happens to some of the characters. Um, yeah, I like it. I think it's, I think though that this book doesn't take itself too seriously too. Mm -hmm. I think there's an element of fun, especially when, An when Andy and Niall are talking, um, how Andy sort of introduces Niall, who's the, the new character, sort of the, I guess the blank slate mm -hmm. uh, audience sort of stand-in character, right? I guess you would say. And, and it, one of the cool things I thought about this book too um, is that Niall isn't the only sort of vehicle for exposition in this book, which is great as well. Um, but when, when Niall and Andy are talking, there's a, there's a great banter and there's also sort of this, uh, I guess you'd say like a metatextual humor from Andy. Like Andy's always sort of sarcastic and kind of commenting on what the situation is all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that there's sort of a, a fun element of this book. It's not really, it's not too dark and serious. Like it's not always 
excuse me, the characters aren't always brooding and pondering mortality all the time. Like there's a, it moves really fast and, uh, and it's really fun and brutal. Uh, and I really, and uh, it, it, it does a good job of um, not, uh, I guess, like pacing wise, it does a good job of not getting repetitive, you know? Mm-hmm even when like there are a lot of like scenes of just people firing bullets at each other like it's still cool at least i found it to be still really cool like every time that like there's an action sequence um i think part of that is just again crafting good characters and good uh good set pieces um in the comic Uh, and uh and again also just making sure that you know it's not the same kind of uh action sequence every time as far as like what's at stake and where they need to get to um yeah i really like how this book is crafted in that way um but uh, but one thing i guess i I wanted to sort of steer this in the exposition direction um there are two types of exposition in this book there's the narration from andy Mm -hmm. that's sort of like an inner monologue and she'll tell stories to the reader that she's not telling to a character but then she's also explaining things really in really cool ways. She, she's explaining things to Niall about how things work and why you do certain things as an immortal. And then at one point she gets um, uh, Booker to explain things as well. And uh, that's a really cool sequence um, later in the book. Uh, but what do you think of the exposition in this book and how it's delivered? Yeah, so I have a uh, I have a couple of thoughts um, about that, and I, I agree with you the way that sort of uh, it's handled in two ways, sort of the internal narration of of Andy, you know, sort of like as they're going through like a mission, she's sort of delivering you know it's either to like what they are currently doing or what they've done in the past, and then there's a lot of sort of Niles there, and she's got to be brought up to speed, and as you said, like. Um, it's sort of a vehicle for us as the reader to be delivered information as Andy's delivering it to Niall. Um, I thought one thing that was interesting is that like when we do the flashbacks, you know, for the various characters of the team, like sometimes those are like uh, three to four pages. And I was like, and this is something that we'll discuss. Like, I probably feel like if, like, in the TV show, those are going to be handled with, like, quick flashes. Like, so and so is in the French army. So-and-so's, you know, in the Crusades. So-and-so's, you know, fighting with Napoleon. But here, it's sort of like four pages of current story. And then we, we just sort of dive into, like, four, pair, uh, four pages of sort of backstory. Yeah. And now, while I really enjoyed it, I'm just thinking as somebody who doesn't sort of have Greg Rucka's like track record or sort of like pedigree, like um, if an editor would not have been like, Hey, do we really need four pages flashing back to this guy's time in the, uh, you know, serving in the French army? Cause even after we get like those four pages of that, like uh, there's sort of like a snide remark by Andy that they're, they have to fight the the French and it's not going to be that hard. Yeah. And books like, Hey, I was in the French 
I was in the French army and you like you snicker because you had those first you had those four pages earlier and that that pays it off but I'm just wondering about four pages dedicated to to a flashback um of the backstory of somebody in a 20 to 22 page comic uh now while I enjoyed it I just don't know um like I feel like in a movie like I said earlier like and I haven't seen the movie, but I feel like a lot of times, like when these characters are discussing, like we're going to just get like quick flashes, sort of like yeah. 10 second, 30 second flashes of backstory, which is a lot different than four pages of, of a comic. Uh, but yeah, I, I did enjoy it though. Montages too. Yeah, I did too. And I think it's, I think it's indicative of what you can do with comics. Cause there are certain pages in here uh, and not just in flashbacks, there's one page in uh, I think either the second or third issue where Andy's climbing down the stairs and she runs into an old woman and she puts the gun to the old woman's head and says like, if you scream, I'll come back and kill you. Yeah. And then um, next panel you cut to is the old woman watching Andy walk away and then it's a zoom in on her face and you know, she's going to scream. And then you just see Andy reacting to the woman screaming. And all you see is like Andy just sort of reacting and she's like, She's like, how do they always know when I'm lying? And then final panel is like her being like riddled with bullets from the the soldiers that the old lady alarmed. Like that whole page right there tells a whole story, you know, in like, uh, if you're doing this in screenplay term, you couldn't really do that in one minute, you know, that kind of thing or whatever. It's like, you know, you, you as a, as a reader get to fill in the blanks and fill in the time that it would take to, tell that whole story in one page. Um, and then also, you know, something like uh, the, later in the issues, you have a flashback to uh, uh, a freed slave that um, Andy had to track down in one of her past, you know, warrior days. And uh, that's sort of a nice interlude about that sort of, excuse me, contradicts sort of what uh, Booker had just been saying about why you don't try to love people while you're immortal and things like that. Um, but it's a nice sort of interlude that cuts back and forth, but there's like a double page spread that tells the whole story mm -hmm. of the slave. Like it's one page, it's in, it's in two pages basically, or I guess maybe three or four pages where you just get this guy's whole life story and by the end of that short story, you feel emotionally attached to this character like Andy was. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like in like six pages, whereas in a movie, you don't have that kind of time. Um, but if you're doing it in a comic, you can sort of trust the reader to slow down and to appreciate things. And you can control, you know, how much information you put on a page and you understand that time works differently when someone's in control of it. Um, versus when you have a movie and you have to, you have control of the time and the pacing and everything like that. That's why the Watchmen movie doesn't work, right? You know, as faithful as it is, it doesn't, it doesn't work because you know the the book is uh, uh, the book plays with time in a, such a different way that you can never really perfectly homage that on a screen. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I, I like. Does that make sense? What I'm trying to say, like, it's like you can only you can do things like that with comics that you could definitely not do in film, especially with the same emotional impact. Uh, another good example is like the beginning of like X Men Origins Wolverine, which is arguably one of the worst superhero films ever. Um, 
but there's that whole opening homage sequence where you see him sort of go through time as a warrior mm-hmm. and you feel nothing that kind of thing as you're going through it is it's supposed to be building the relationship between him and Victor Creed. But by the end of the movie, you don't get that they have a real relationship. Like you can't just sort of homage, like not homage. So you can't sort of like montage your way through a relationship in a film. Like you need the time to build it in, in good, clear ways. Like you can't just say, okay, well we did do the time because we showed a montage of them growing closer. Um, and that's different than actually like watching the characters, you know, grow as like their relationship grow. Um, so I think this book sort of shows how comics can do that in like four or five pages um, versus a movie where it takes a lot longer to do something like that. Yeah, you got Well, there's a couple of hot takes that we have to unpack here. Well, first you said that the, the Watchmen movie is not any good. So that's, <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's the first one. Um, the two, you said that X-Men uh, Origins Wolverine is not uh, very good. So, <laughs> but no, like a lot of times on this podcast, we've talked about how you can do things where you can either sort of like drop the background or drop the detail or, or make the panel larger to yeah. sort of slow down our reading experience to sort of, you know, we might be going like panel, panel, panel. And they're like, oh, there's something different in this panel and instinctively you, you, you slow down and you, you look at it. Or if you're reading a comic, sometimes sort of like the, uh, the color, comp, uh, you know, color can change and you, you realize that you're in a flashback without them having to say many years ago, which they don't do in this book. You sort of, as you're going, you just sort of realize um, that you've been put into a flashback um so this controls the pace much differently than like a tv show would or or a movie would do um so i agree with you there that also falls on your artist too being able to convey emotion well again to go to the the example of the 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 freed slave and the freed slave's character's name is achilles Mm -hmm. um when andy was telling his story to the reader you know you get the emotion of this character portrayed perfectly through Leandro's, um, sorry, uh, through Fernandez's art. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's beautifully well-told stories. That splash where you just sort of, you just sort of see his whole background. And then the moment where they meet each other, when she's talking about meeting him, you get their instant bond through how they're looking at each other and uh, through their emotion. And, uh, so it really, it, it, like, it's, it's not just, you know, you know, comics, you can do whatever and it'll automatically be better and just as good as movies, if, you know, in less time. It, it also rests on having good storytellers who understand emotion and know how the, you know, Rucka's, like, when you look at these pages, you get the relationship between Achilles and Andy really fast. Mm-hmm. And you get attached to their relationship and you care about their relationship really fast. And it's not just because, yeah, it's a comic. It's because Greg Rucka knew the right amount of words to put in order. And Fernandez knew how to bring those words to life. And uh, that's just good storytelling. So in the end, it's sort of, you know, you got to be uh, like, you know, it's not, uh, obviously they put in their thousand hours of work to get to this place of being good writers and artists. But, you know, you have to have uh, a good background and being a good storyteller in order to perfectly, not perfectly, but 
convey well a relationship in comics. Yeah, and before that, we sort of got the impression that Andy was sort of like, uh, with with her age and experience, all the things that she had done, she was sort of got to the point where like nothing mattered to her, nothing right. nothing bothered her. But this sort of this relationship sort of brought us back that even though she's got this hard edge, she's been around for so long, and now she's currently sort of like for lack of a better term, sleeping, drinking, smoking her way through everything. Um, there was a point where that she did have something that she could really hold on to and that mattered to her. And then, of course, like all of these characters, she eventually lost it. And that's important to the her arc in this book, is that there's this, her talking to Niall, she's saying things like, close yourself off to the world, don't get attached to people mm -hmm. while she's breaking every one of those rules and giving examples of in her past when she broke those rules. Mm -hmm. um, even in the first issue, she talks about one of her former comrades. Um, and I can't remember, I think it was like another warrior uh, woman. And uh, she just died, obviously, you know, like one of the days that like, you know, that that was an immortal and she sort of loved her. And then all of a sudden, uh, one day that the woman just died in battle mm -hmm. or something like that. And um, and that's important to sort of where she ends up at, at by the end of the book. And it's sort of important to all the characters about where they end up and all their motivations. So everyone has that from Niall to Booker to uh, Nick and uh, Nick and Joe. Um, Nick and Joe, another great relationship as well. There's just... You automatically, of course, uh, you, you you look at them as a couple and you're you're automatically rooting for them. But there's a moment where you're totally on board with making sure that both of them get out when uh, I think it's it's Joe is yelling at the guard for beating up Nick. And he just like goes on this huge rant about why he's like the greatest person in the world and their relationship. And that's so well written. Um, you know what I'm you know what scene I'm talking about, right? Yeah, and I'm thinking about I'm thinking about that. There's also a scene where those those guys are in the back of a uh they're in the back they 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 at one point they're they're captured and they're 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 being moved along and it's sort of, sort of after he gives that speech um and uh these two guys they kiss each other. Yes. And you know, it's it's so amazing the way that it's conveyed that like they're in the back of this van and it's all of these like pseudo tough guys yes and they've they've seen they've seen all of these terrible things they've done all these terrible things and then they see two dudes kiss and they're just sort of like oh we can't handle this it's just yeah. it just the sort of re the ridiculousness of it is just sort of conveyed so well on that that panel and, and then i love the reveal a couple pages later about what the hell, why they did that. Basically like knowing that the macho men wouldn't be able to handle two dudes kissing that kind of thing. And then using that um, later, which is hilarious. And um, yeah, I loved, um, I loved with those characters, how there's a couple of scenes where they will, um, you'll think that they're helpless. And then all of a sudden just the hubris of some macho man will mm -hmm. get in the way. Like, you know, uh, when they meet Merrick, Merrick starts flashing the knife and you kind of are like, oh, they, she shouldn't have done that. 
because immediately I think uh, Nick grabs the knife from him, that kind of thing, and like hold, yeah. holds him hostage. And uh, yeah, I love, uh, again, like I, this is also something too I was thinking about, um, about like guns and like gunfights in comics. Like you don't see it very often. And I've heard people say like Greg Capullo about how he tried to do like he has a martial arts background and he tried to maybe try to incorporate that with some of the tests for Batman stuff. And he was realizing it didn't read very well. Like, you know, it wasn't like something that he could get too technical with the fighting in it. So what he did was he just sort of resorted to more brawling sort of action sequences. Um, and sort of like, you sort of think about that with the Marvel way too, is that you sort of always have to have like, you know, a lot of like connection and like, you know, uh, sort of fist to face kind of stuff. Cause that's more, I guess, more relatable and it reads better. Um, whereas like people just sort of like shooting at each other and stuff like that, maybe won't read as well on a page, but like somehow how Fernandez does it, it's like reading a John Wick, like what a good John Wick comic would look like, you know? Um, I'm really like, I like, I've just sort of was like, I remember liking the action sequences in this, but we'll, we'll have to do a breakdown at some point to talk about why these action sequences work as well as they do. And they don't go for that normal comic book action sequence. Yeah. So I had a couple of thoughts on the, the art style. I think one thing that happens here is, is that this is not like hyper detailed art. No. But even like when we go in sort of like the, the, the action scenes, like the detail gets even less, which makes you sort of like um, go through it faster. So yeah. like you, like when there, maybe, maybe there's like the team sitting in a cafe sort of like planning out what they're going to do. There's, there's more detail there. Then they move into the mission. You know, they're sort of in the thick of things. Things go sideways. The detail drops out. So you, you move through it faster. So I feel like maybe that was a conscious choice by uh, Leandro Fernandez to sort of uh, be less detailed, to sort of change that pacing. Uh, do, you, do you think that was the case? I think so. And we talked about this with like, um, like when we first started the podcast about sort of referencing like Declan Shalvey's Moon Knight fight scene and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. um you know, you, you draw the background like in the first panel, you know, and that's sort of, you know, then the reader can sort of fill in the space after that. So like I'm looking at one of the like double page spreads towards the end when Niall and Andy are fighting their way down a hallway of soldiers. And uh, the first panel is one of the guards leaning up against a wall and he's about to pull a grenade. And you see in like the detail on that, like, Fernandez is drawn in like all like they're in Dubai. So it's got all this like crazy Middle Eastern African artwork along the, the wall. So you have this like really crazy detailed tile mm -hmm. and um, the floor is even crazy detailed with the rugs and uh, all the way down the high, the hallway as you're watching Andy and um, Niall and I guess Nick and Joe are there too fighting their way. Um, but you're obviously drawn to the guy pulling the grenade, but still there's a lot of detail there. But then, Next panel, you see the grenade hitting the ground. Uh, panel after that, you see them fighting. And then you see uh, Andy grab a guy that they're fighting. And you just see her pushing him down and like from 
it goes from upper left down to the right of the panel. And that's in the center of the splash. The double page splash is this guy being blown up as you guess, oh, she threw him on top of the grenade. But during this whole action sequence, there's no background in anything. It's just the action. And then you have the, the next panel, which would actually be the first panel on the, the right facing page. And you kind of get a little more of the, the floor. This is sort of a top-down perspective, but then it drops out again when Nick is tackling a, a soldier and uh, lining him up so that Andy can shoot him and then they move along. So that's like, I thought that was really, yeah, like you have, you have just the amount of detail to set up the geography and the space. And then we, as the readers, just fill in everything from there. And we know, we know just by looking around and filling in the gaps of this comic, where everything was and where everything was placed um, without being lost at all. It's, uh, it's again, another thing that you can only do in comics is just sort of have these sort of, I guess you would, in a film it would be very abstract and not very understandable if you were just showing these images in sequence. But in a comic, when you can look at the whole spread and your eye doesn't have to just move from left to right, but you can look around the whole page, you guess, you know what's happening and you fill in the background yourself. Yeah, so another element of, of storytelling that I'd like to touch on here is the, the colors. And it looks like the colors yeah. are done by uh, Daniela Miwa. And if I mispronounce that name, I apologize. Uh, there are very interesting color palettes here. Um, you know, a lot of times when we're inside, it's sort of like cool blues. Mm, yeah. uh, but there's lots of purples and lots of yellows and oranges. And, uh, you know, some of these color schemes you wouldn't think made a lot of sense. Uh, I'm looking at the, the two-page spread that's the, 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 the helicopter landing in the desert. Um, yeah. And it's very purple and it's very yellow. Um, and uh, I know this is a strange comparison to make, but, like, a lot of times when I look at, like, the old Nam comic books that are done by like Michael Golden like when you look at those colors you're like that doesn't make any sense but it it looks it looks cool like yeah it's, it's the those choices are great but you're just sort of like I don't know why they why they did that like the the purples and the yellows um but I felt like a lot of times we could tell sort of like the temperature or the atmosphere depending on the location the way the the colors changed certainly the desert schemes sort of had that that yellow and that purple insides like i said had the blues like cool like you were inside with like air conditioning uh what'd you think about the coloring here i loved it and that, uh, one of the pages i really like is um again towards one of the maybe the fourth or fifth issue there's a uh, a nice uh, double page, not about a double page spread, but there's a nice sequence where Andy and Niall are standing on a, on a cliff face mm -hmm. facing the ocean. And it's like either during uh, dusk or a uh, sunrise. And it's, um, it's when Andy's telling Niall to uh, keep the photo of her family safe so that she always has something to remember them by as she goes forward. And um, what I like about, how Lee, how Fernandez worked with the colorist is that's in a lot of those panels. And then there's another panel really later when I'm um, coping. And um, there's like a shaft of light coming in through the airplane window. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, like there, there are no more blacks, like all the, like there's the outlines of the shadows, but there's no black. 
um, where the the shaft of light is coming through and it sort of cuts across his form and uh, creates these other shafts of light that break his lines and sort of break the form and cut through the, the image. And But it moves it, your eye moves along. It doesn't like stop you, but it's cool to see like uh, that page and then the page I was talking about with the sunset, there's a lot of parts where like he won't fill in the blacks and just sort of almost like, or, or he won't fill in the highlights. Like it'll just sort of be just these, uh, like, you know, stark contrast. This is where the light's hitting. This is where the light's not hitting. And uh, he lets the colorist sort of express uh, him or herself uh, in those little blank spots in the negative space on both pages. Um, so I really like the synergy that you get from the artwork where, you know, like even in like some of the action sequences, you see the lines or the outlines drop out and it's just the colorist working his or her magic. And uh, I really love that. And uh, yeah, I love what you, what you said about the, the color palette too. It's very, uh, it's, uh, it's very pastel, I guess you could say. Um, it's like pastel meets neon at times. And it fits with the way they did the covers. The covers are yeah. sort of like uh, either one or two colors that sort of go together. Um, there's a lot of negative space sort of generally at the bottom of the, of the cover. Mm -hmm. um, so it, 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 goes, it goes really well. Um, so I think we've done a really good job of covering these first five issues without sort of spoiling them with with things that might happen in the in the tv show so let's turn our attention to sort of expectations or, or thoughts of things that might happen in the netflix show that's that's on yeah i'm excited uh, i've not i've only watched one or two of the trailers i didn't think the trailers were that well edited which kind of always concerns me because normally that means either the movie's not good or the marketing team doesn't know what to do with the movie. And I'm kind of leaning more towards the latter where it might be that the marketing team just really wants to sort of sell it as like John Wick or something like that. And it might not be that in tone, um, but it's gotten really good reviews. And I think I wasn't getting too many like red flags when I looked at like the director and obviously Greg Rucka coming back to write the script himself instead of, you know, passing it on to some other screenwriter. That was a great sign for me. Um, so that, you know, you, cause like one of the, I think the huge red flags with last days of American crime is that Rick Remender was only just credited as the, the guy who wrote the graphic novel. Like he wasn't involved in the story or screenplay or anything. Um, that's, that's always a bad sign. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I watched the uh, I watched the trailer today um, after reading the the first five issues, and I don't know if this is sort of a case of like splicing the trailer together, but they sort of in the trailer they sort of drop you into like what I feel like is like issue two, um, and they and then they sort of show us stuff from issue one, so. Um, I'm wondering about how, like, that just might sort of, hey, this is a trailer, we got to show Charlize Theron, like, right away, right. Um, which you could have done because sort of the book opens up with, with Andy as well, but it's sort of, um, I will give the trailer credit, it does sort of a great way of uh, show, don't tell, like, sort of like the... Um, 
Niall stabs uh, Charlize Theron and she's sort of like blase, just sort of like yeah. pulls the knife out and throws it away. So we're just sort of like, oh, this is different um, without sort of like a voiceover like Charlize Theron being like, I'm immortal and barely yeah. anything hurts me. It's just sort of yeah. like, it's it it does that. But um, I'm wondering if the TV show, or I guess I should say movie, will be sort of more um, in line with the way the issues go, or if it'll mm. sort of like jump around and like maybe we're dumped into sort of like Niall's story like right away, and then we go back and we get some like Andy backstory, or will it just like start off with Andy? Like I'm wondering how that will happen. Yeah, or if it's going to start off with just sort of the first mission that Andy gets recruited for, which is the first trap mm-hmm. um, in the book, and um, and then it'll go back as Niall gets introduced, and Andy will tell stories about her past, and you'll get to see flashbacks to when she was a warrior in ancient Greece, and then in the Dark Ages, and in wild Australia, and everything, and... Um, yeah, I'll be interested to see how they handle the structure of things. You you sent me a great video today where it was just sort of a little featurette behind the scenes and you saw Greg Rucka mm-hmm. talking about, um, excuse me, talking about uh, his sort of how he pr- approached the screenplay. And uh, it was really reassuring for me to, for him basically to say, he's like, I wrote it as a comic and you can't do the same thing like we've been talking about. You can't do the same thing with comics that you can do with movies. And so he wrote it as a screenplay instead of like a straight adaptation, um, like from start to finish. And you can do that, obviously, and you can do it well as something like Sin City shows. Um, But again, one of the greatest things about Sin City is that Frank Miller was on board at the screenwriting stage and at the directing stage to bring that, to directly interpret that from uh, page to screen. Um, So it's great to have Greg Rucka on. to, have, to be with the director. It looks like maybe even Fernandez was um, a part of the production as well in uh, bringing it to life, which is always reassuring. Um, and this director seems to be really passionate about the book, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I was watching sort of like, uh, as much as I love uh, Joker and things like that, I always sort of, I always saw it as a red flag when people like Todd Phillips were like, no, I'm not a comic book fan, that kind of thing and stuff like that. Or like, I, I don't really like the Joker that much or something like that, you know, or, or like I always get sort of like a red flag from that where it's like you, you really need someone who at least loves comics and loves sort of the, the source material. So the director like got up and was like, I love this book. This book is amazing. And I'm like, that's really reassuring. Um, that to have yeah. a director, like I don't really like this part of the book or anything like that, you know, or Yeah. No, that's, that's, I feel like that's really re reassuring. Um, What I really liked about that featurette was where they did the things where they took like pages from the comic and they just sort of transitioned or sort of used an effect to like show us the same shot in the, in the movie. Um, But a couple of things about the things that you're talking about. Yeah. I, 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 I really enjoy hearing that like I love the book, I love the comic, I love comics because like there's so many times that I'll have a conversation with somebody and even people that like have a background in art and they're just like I don't like comics but they they love the Walking Dead TV show 
Yeah. And then they love, you know, Watchmen. Game of Thrones. Yeah. And I'm just like, those are the, or and, or, and I'm like, these, those are very genre based TV shows. And while Game of Thrones is a prose book, I'm like, Walking Dead is, you know, the, the first couple of episodes, even going towards the end, it borrows heavily from, from from the comic so like just to sort of dismiss a comic of like oh that's just some like throwaway entertainment is is sort of not what you want to hear and it's good to hear that the, the the director sort of um is on board because even if we go back to sort of that last days of american crime yeah discussion i think that's sh- that movie would have been better served to just take the comic take all of those things, transition them to storyboards and then make the movie because some of the decisions that they made, they turned it into sort of, and we've talked about It felt like it hated the book, that movie. Like it really felt like it was because like there were parts where they directly reference parts of the comic and then say, that's not how it is in this story, that kind of thing. Or like, you like, you think that's it? Like, well, I think like even like, Kevin at the end even makes like a reference to the book and he's like, that's BS or something like that. And I'm like, that's rude. That kind of thing. I'm like, that's the book you're based on. Like, like it's sort of like, it's very mean spirited towards its source material and then makes something awful off of that. Like I just, um, yeah, it's always a red flag for me to see people, be like i don't like comics that kind of thing i just want to make a good movie or whatever it is um never a good sign so i was very happy to see the director also a female director doing a comic book movie awesome like that's something i'm very happy to see uh a a black woman directing an action movie based on a comic is like that's great (laughs) that kind of thing i'm like i was so happy to see that too um instead of just sort of the basic stuff the old white man i'm like really excited to see a new perspective you know on a comic book movie yeah and i'm glad we did not go down the the last days of american crime tangent which we almost went yeah, down I almost did yeah Ugh. Ugh. yeah so uh like as as we wrap up like a couple of things um i feel like if they do this first movie like they did this first five issues, it's going to lend itself to a sequel, which, um, which will be great. Um, Because you can certainly tell this sort of as a complete story. And as we said, we're not going into a ton of spoilers here, Um, but they leave things open. They leave story. They, they, there's certain, something certainly very important that they deal with and they, they, they finalize that but there's a lot of open plot threads to, to continue with. We have a very new character that we can follow her sort of exploits and her sort of experiences with the team. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if this does well, that we get more old guard on Netflix. Yeah. If it's more extraction than last days of American crime, I can definitely see having more, especially with like, uh, with Greg Rucka in the middle of the second series right now, you know, I'm sure they're talking with Charlize and the director about, okay, you know, if we see extraction numbers or even last days, like last days wasn't a a failure on Netflix. 
Um, I think it was at number one for the weekend when it came out and like sitting in the top 10 for a good week. Um, but it's a bad movie. Don't watch it. And, uh, but like, well, so if it, if it does even those numbers, you can probably guarantee a sequel on Netflix. So I'll say this as we, um, maybe as the next, the last thing we ever say about the last days of American crime, yeah. watch the, watch the first 20 minutes of last days of American crime. Cause yeah. it's the most faithful to the book, then turn it off and read, uh, issue issue, read the rest of issue one and two yes. to three. That would be, that would be the experience that you want. As soon as the guy, I wouldn't even say the first 20 minutes, as soon as he sets the guy on fire, turn it off, go read the book. Yeah. So, okay, so we're still talking about Last Days of American Crime. Five, first five minutes, yeah. I, <laughs> I feel that the point where Shelby, actually watch it until Kevin shows up. And then when Kevin shows up, don't watch it anymore because watch it anymore. That, that, was, that was almost straight from straight, uh, you know, storyboard. Uh, panels to book and then and then it went then it went astray from there but i i would um, i would i i would say don't watch any of it i'm going back i'm 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 taking it back i don't i don't agree with you just don't watch it watch something better read the book awesome yeah Yeah. no i i love the book i i love everything remember does so i'm with you there and And i love this book I think we're going to put a moratorium on Last Days of American Crime. Yeah, it it's never, dead. It will never be discussed again. Oh, I think uh, it will. <laughs> I don't think we're going to... I don't think I have so much to work through. That movie scarred me. I have, uh, I have to go to therapy, like a support group for people who actually sat through the full two and a half hours of that movie. Okay, yeah. But Last... Uh, Old Guard looks great. Looks awesome. It, it does, awesome. and it's got... It's got uh, I actually, so some of the screen caps I've seen, uh, obviously, uh, Charlize Theron is uh, a very striking looking woman um, as the main character and, you know, it's pleasing to look at. But I feel like a lot of the other characters, I feel like they, they nailed them. Like, they uh, did. Uh, Niall looks very close to how she looks in the book and even booker does the and joe and nikki i would say they changed copley's a white guy in the book and um but i think having a chiwetel egeo four and anything is always a good choice so yeah I, copley I, is is a good just like yeah that's solid i saw that and i was like yeah that that's that's great yeah there's like i i believe it's i believe it's book that's in the uh in in the comic he's sort of displayed with like sort of like a larger size like nose and i feel like even like the character they pick to play him like doesn't have like the classic like good guy you know action hero chiseled looks he actually has like a nose that's like too big and i was like oh that's amazing they like they nailed that if if that's the character that's that's playing book I, i i that that's amazing like attention to detail there i'm even looking at the guy who plays nick and he's spot on too um the guy who plays joe is is he he sort of has more unruly hair but he doesn't have as long of hair as he does in the book Mm -hmm. um and he has a beard which he doesn't have i don't think he has a big beard in the book but the guy who plays nick is like spot on and um what's interesting is that it looked like uh uh niall's haircut is uh sort of on Andy in this movie I noticed that because there are panels in the 
in the book where I was like, it kind of looks like Charlize Theron, that kind of thing, like when it's not close up. Um, yeah, she has more of the bushed hairstyle in the book that Charlize Theron has. But I think that's spot on casting for this, for Andy is um, Charlize Theron, like just perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with that. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to cover our review. Uh, what we'll do is we'll wait a couple of days, give everybody a chance uh, to, to watch the movie over the weekend and maybe come back and do the thing. There was a certain Netflix TV yeah. show to comic, which I'm not going to name right now, which we, which we broke down. And then later we, we came back. Uh, but like I said, I'm not going to mention the name of that. No. But I think, I think we'll do a similar thing here. Um, but we're certainly, you know, everybody, you know, we have millions of listeners, so we'll give them time to, uh, to take in the show. Um, hopefully if they haven't read this first, uh, first trade, they, they read that. Um, I'm always one of those people that I, I like to read either the comic or the book before, before I see the movie. Um, so if, if you're one of those people, uh, do that as well. I, I, I could, I can't recommend it enough. Awesome. All right. So um, I'd like to thank everybody for, for checking out this podcast. Uh, um, we'll be back uh, with another podcast very soon. If you could give us a rating and review on whatever podcasting service you use to listen to this, we'd really appreciate it. If you want to follow the podcast, we are on social media. Twitter is at Construct Compod. Uh, Instagram is Constructed Comics Pod. Facebook and YouTube is Constructed Comics. And we'll be back with a, another episode very soon. Thank you for listening. Be safe and be nice to each other. Goodbye.